Hey, we're back to the SBP podcast, Mobile Filmmaking. I'm your host, Susie Botello, and this is episode 153. Hey, so glad to be back with our Fade Into Film panelists, uh, Jason and uh, E.T., Ryan, Joey. Uh, they're all here uh, for this this round um, and we're going to talk about some really cool interesting topics and have some great conversations it'll definitely as always also be entertaining and uh, we're going to do that topics introduction in a little bit here but first I have a question to ask you are you getting something out of this are you enjoying our podcast um, if so you I might you know I don't do this enough I always seem to forget to bring this up. I'm going to try and remember this a little more often because it's truly and greatly appreciated uh, when you actually, you know, respond to this. And um, basically, here it is. I'm really horrible at this. But um, if you're getting something out of this, you're enjoying this, and you want to show some appreciation, maybe give a little back for it, uh, you'll notice there are no ads in this podcast or anything like that. I'd like to keep it running this way. I like being able to, you know, listen myself to a podcast and not be interrupted with ads and things like that. And I'd like to keep mine that way as well. So if you look down in the notes and you'll see a link there, buymeacoffee.com slash Susie Botello or patreon.com slash SBP podcast, you can give back, you can, you know, bring a bigger smile to my face uh, and help me paying the bills. And that's, um, it would be greatly appreciated. There is a cost to this podcast. There is a cost with time. There is a cost to host the podcast. And by hosting, I'm not talking about what I'm doing here in the podcast. I'm talking about hosting the podcast files itself onto a server that's a service that costs money um anyways no need for you to know all the details of that i just wanted to bring that up with you and all right we've got some great topics to discuss here so let's go ahead and head on over to our awesome panelists We are Fade Into Film. I'm Susie Botello, and I'm the host of the SBP podcast and founder of the International Mobile Film Festival by S. Botello Productions. And I'm in San Diego, California. Hi, my name is Ryan McDonald. I'm a writer, director, producer, actor. Um... For feature films and short films, and I am out of Ogden, Utah. Hi, I'm Levi Austin Morris, and I'm an actor, writer, director, and filmmaker in Los Angeles, California. I'm Erica E.T. Taylor, and I'm a visual storyteller, video producer, and mobile filmmaker from Houston, Texas. Hey, I'm Joey Min. I am the creative head for Art School Dropouts, a YouTuber 
but also a filmmaker. And we are located in New Jersey. I'm Jason Rivera, a music composer based out of Los Angeles, California. Hey, everybody, we're here. We're back. Fade into film. Uh, we've got uh, Jason in the house. Woohoo, Jason. Ooh. Hey, hey. <laughs> we've got Erica is here. E.T. Hey, I'm back again. We've got Joey. Hey, what's up, everybody? What's going on? <laughs> and Ryan. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Hey, we've got we've got some topics that we wanted to discuss. Um, hopefully, you've listened to our previous episode. But if you not if you haven't, that's all right because we've got some new things to talk about, and we're also going to touch back on some subjects that are still being talked about out there in the universe where we live outside of this podcast, right, guys? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, I wanted to, instead of going down, you know, down the line like we did the last time, uh, I figured that, you know, does anyone have something, some news that they want to share with uh, with our listeners? I uh, like during, I believe in November, I have to get the dates correct on this, but uh, HBO UAS, like um, they... In, in, oh my gosh, I forgot what movie theater it is. It's in Times Square, but apparently uh, during the film festival for um, HBO's Urban Action Film Festival, they have asked asked the dropouts to like, we have like a, this two hour block of of playing some of our like short films there. And uh, so, oh. yeah, so they, they wanted us to come back for like this year to do that. So that's, that's one thing. If you guys are in New York around November 11, I believe, like you guys... Um, the film festival. If you guys want to just pop into the, yeah, <laughs> I forgot what really movie cool. theater. I, I'm so bad at this. I know, like, that would like kill me. But yeah, no, I'll no, this out. is cool. We, I got some friends actually that that are in New York. Oh, so uh, that are mobile filmmakers and filmmakers and actors and stuff yeah. that uh, we'll have to invite them over to catch it for us. That's really cool. That's that's quite an honor, huh? Yeah. No, it's um. It's very awesome. Uh, like, apparently, just uh, heard about it from Steph like last week, and I don't remember the details. And I'm sure she'll be mad at me for not remembering the details. Here, so. <laughs> well, awesome, if Joey. you guys, oh, thank you, you guys have a newsletter, right? We do. <laughs> I'm because like Steph is the business person. All like, I'm literally <laughs> the creative. Like, right? So, and um, that's why we work well together. You know, I, I don't, I kind of, I'm not sure about, about all of those things. And that's really sad yeah. for me to say. But I know, no, it's, it's pathetic, Joey. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> I think it's that's the, being a creative, like being a creative, I, I, I feel like, yeah, definitely the whole marketing part is, is a, it's a different mindset. So, yeah. But there's so I, much creativity in marketing. Oh, there too. is definitely. And that's what stuff's really good at. I'm. Yeah. Good at the other things. <laughs> <laughs> You're good at, you know, the fighting and the directing and the, um, oh, that's awesome. Well, we'll have to add a link to your newsletter in our notes. So pass that on. Yeah, thank you so much. So that yeah. we can add it for our listeners who, you know, because I'm sure she's, you know, Stephanie, 
<laughs> Yo. Yeah, no, she listens. Uh, so I know. Yeah. <laughs> I so so sorry, send, I uh, <laughs> Yeah. So we'll send people people your way. Anybody else got any anything? Uh, I think I'm in between right now. So I guess on one hand, uh, it is uh, in my class. Finals week is next week. So uh, that is um, fortunately, fortunately for my class, it's project based. So I just got to wait until those start to come in. And uh, I pitched to a potential client today. And so I just have to now I'm on the uh, waiting (laughs) end. Um, And so I hope to know something, uh, you know, some I hope to get some positive news next seven days within seven days so by the next recording i should have some updates on that oh cool and so we'll be hoping we'll be rooting for you yeah um so let's get let's get this show on the road here uh let's talk about something now before before we go too deep into what we can't stop talking about (laughs) which is ai um, I wanted to uh, chat with everybody about uh, something. Uh, here's here's a, a couple of topics I thought we, we should discuss. One of them is why actors should make mobile films. Maybe even now might be an even better time than ever, considering all that's going on in the industry. Um, I also want to talk about, about what is indie film and what is it not. Uh, we were starting to debate that before um, before we got rolling on the show. And Hollywood using AI um, like uh, de-aging celebrity actors, does that open doors to indie film and smartphone film people? And, um, you know, uh, we'll probably touch on that a little bit here as well. So those are some of our main topics, and we never know where things may lead. So let's start with indie film. Um, what does indie film mean to you guys? Anyone want to talk about that? Um, well, I guess it's indie film is anything that isn't like you know isn't outside a major um, studio type of feel right but i guess that's also kind of an iffy thing too to say what exactly is like an in you know non-hollywood studio i i mean i'm i know i'm saying it in a very western way because obviously there's other um you know like major filmmaking um scenarios in other countries but yeah right right, right. um and and so I think that what's happened, too, is that the industry has grown so much. I mean, we're talking about making movies with a phone now, right? So it's grown so much in so many different ways that what indie film has been uh, at the time when it first started. I mean, really, there were like three, one, basically, almost just one major studio that owned everything and everyone that participated in the industry. And and then more came along, and um, but this industry has grown, and so the lines have sort of crossed over. It's kind of like that that thing with the circles, and then they kind of unite, and there's a circle in the middle 
of sort of, well, maybe you're indie and maybe people don't consider you indie. Um, I think I was talking about the $30 million independent film uh, or something like that where it gets, you know, kind of iffy. It's like, oh, I didn't know that was an independent film because, you know, Tom Cruise and, you know, God knows who was in it, you know. Um, so, and then I always like to bring back Brokeback Mountain, which was an indie film, uh, but then it was picked up by, um, who was it that picked it up? I forgot the name of the distribution company that brought it into all the mainstream theaters. Was it Focus? I think so. I forgot the name of that. I remember Magnolia Pictures bring, uh, picking up, um, you know, Tangerine from uh, Sean Baker. Like, if I don't remember that, I'm in trouble, right? But I forgot who brought in that one. But that was a, an example for me, you know, because, you know, Heath Ledger, one of my favorite actors in the whole world, was in it. And I think it probably added to the attraction of that film as well but people watched it in little theaters you know in different towns the lines were lined up around the block and some of the bigger studios said um you know the theaters said well we want that clientele and um and it just kind of picked up from there so wait brokeback mountain was actually indie yeah at first when they started out yeah, because isn't that during the time when um, I guess the when the Hong Kong Hanover was happening? So a lot of the Hong Kong filmmakers kind of moved over to America because like wasn't that like on like Ang Lee did, did that, right? Yes, he did. Yeah, it was this follow to but, the Hulk movie that he did. Right. I, I didn't know that was I didn't know that was indie. I thought it was. Oh, OK, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because I and thought that like the Hong Kong filmmakers were like that was like the the hot thing to do to like get like one of the those filmmakers that are you know like that moved away from Hong Kong to to you know be a filmmaker or continue their filmmaking thing here in the, in America or something. I thought it was I didn't think that was uh, an indie film. That's that's uh, that's pretty interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. So so okay so so how would you how would you uh, Ryan, how do you define an indie film? Because you're all over this too. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that, that is a hard question because there's a time where like indie film could assume that it's anything outside of like the big six studios. But then, you know, at our level, I made you know we I made a movie for six thousand dollars, and that's quite a bit different than a movie where, say, you have executive producer Brad Pitt, and he's able to invest as we were just saying a second ago, maybe $20 million, even though the movie's still outside of the studio system, but it's like $20 million though, right? And they have, that's a, quite, yeah, a bit that's of, awesome. quite a bit of shit. Well, you made a feature film for 6,000 bucks? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, dude. yeah, my feature that's film, awesome. Married and Loving It, yeah. <laughs> um, well, it was around 6,000. I think, you know, in the end of the day, I probably spent about 1,500 on festival submissions. Um, overall, but then and then uh, all the actors were day rated. Uh, then luckily with the crew, it's like a f- it's like my friends and you know they're really like my closest friends, and so um, we we work on each other's films for free. So I was able to that's that's how I was and able. And shot it on an iPhone. And it was shot on an iPhone six. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Nice. Would like is it 
Is it online somewhere? Yes, on Amazon that's Prime. Oh, sweet. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> See? Oh, yeah. yeah, dude. Self-distribute, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, uh, it, it it is it is something. I mean, I was telling you guys the the feature film that I worked on that didn't really go anywhere. Um, that film w- had a million dollar budget, you know, and that was a totally independent film. Just imagine that, though. Right? How, you said ten million? No, one million dollars. Oh. I mean. Well, you know, I, I've it was, seen. It's still a low budget film. Consider it's still considered a low budget film. That's why it's such a big range. When you hear a million dollars to make a movie, yeah. When Ryan, you made a movie for six thousand dollars, and it's on Amazon Prime right now, right? So, yeah. when you think about that, you it's just mind blowing that a million dollars to make a film that ended up not really succeeding right that i mean it was on on dvd and amazon and you can't find it anymore it, it wasn't you know i mean it's like are you kidding me and and then you have a 30 or 20 million dollar movie and it's still considered independent i think that's what's mind-boggling about the whole thing yeah i guess i mean isn't that basically the, well i i guess the history of Hollywood or you know just the American um cinema right like it's basically run by like a like a gang right like a like a crime syndicate for like in the <laughs> you know basically the wild west of filmmaking back then right right mm-hmm. right and that's I, I consider like at the level that I made the movie I like to use the term like micro budget because it was mm-hmm. it was it's not just indie it's you know zero to to no budget or micro budget. Yeah, and that's the other thing too is you just opened up another door there. It's like there's a door within the door which is, you know, based based on budget 100%. You know, uh on the flip side, you don't have Hollywood studios making $6,000 films. Hmm. I mean, they could probably, right? Well, I mean, they—they they make be kind enough of cool, money. I think, if like Hollywood studios would actually give chances to smaller filmmakers and give them sub ten thousand dollar budgets, right? Um, I I worked cool. on a short film that was um, uh, Lionsgate. Um, I think they provided the because it was shot on actual film. And they backed that film, and it was a short film. So they do things like that because um, they want to be nice, I think. Um, but I don't, I don't, I I think you're right. I think it would be really cool. I I just I don't see it happening considering the big fight that's happening right now. What do you think, Jason? I was gonna say I think maybe indie film is also a stylistic approach. In terms of, like, I think about it in the music industry, there's, um, you know, big record labels like Universal, for example, and they have, you know, they're huge artists that make them a lot of money, but then they have these subsidiary uh, companies within their label where smaller artists that are quote unquote indie artists, bands or whatever, 
they make music, I think, that takes more chances and they make music maybe that's not really um, aimed at, you know, a mass wide audience or, you know, have a, like a mass appeal, but it's music that they want to make. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder if maybe some of that is kind of at play in the sense that I think indie filmmakers, they're telling the stories that they want to tell without really caring about, you know, the fact that they're not on a, you know, uh, connected to a huge studio or anything like that. So I, I'm just, it makes me feel like maybe there's also, because as we've discussed, money is not always an indicator, like a clear cut and dry, like, you know, if you pass this amount in your budget, then you're no longer yeah. indie. That's not really the case per se. So it makes me feel like, well, maybe it's more about the person or the people making the film and their intentions and their their um, approach to storytelling. That that seems like it would be a factor at play as well. And then my question that comes up with that is, so are indie filmmakers uh, considered filmmakers who shouldn't be looking to profit on their films? Ooh, I feel like... I mean, I think it shouldn't be the main focus. It would yeah, be it nice. shouldn't be the main, but it would be a really good bonus. Yeah. Like, it, right? It would really work, but like, I I knew with my film that it wasn't going to be like commercially accepted, just by the material, and I was fine with that because it was like the art was more important than the commerce. I guess was my feeling. Yeah. Because I think I, I used to say this too. Like, I, I wish that um, see, seeing that there are creators out there that would make, I guess, what you would call like viral or, or clickbaity type of content, quote unquote, right? But to to be a creator, that that's your main goal and that's what fills you artistically, all the while fitting the, the market of what you really want to make must be so... <laughs> Must be so fulfilling, you know, like yeah. you make something that everybody actually wants, you know, and that's, that's, uh, that's actually pretty, probably like the, the main dream of a, of any creator, I think. I think that's actually part of the struggle with what is happening right now in, with the strikes and everything that you have the executives that are at that crossroads between, you know, we want to make a bunch of money and, um, and they have the, you know, we were talking last time about the formula, right, for making that much money. And the formula eats at the the story making part, the the creativity part. Like when you watch movies now, right, you know, you see the formula laid out in front of you. Where an independent film, you know, you you can take the risk of not having that formula and and literally engage your viewers in a way that goes beyond what Hollywood can do. And people may start to appreciate that in a way that you may make some serious profit from it. Yeah, I mean. Or what if, and I didn't think of this until we were having this conversation, but what if indie, in a new definition, indie film, was where the artists or the artists who are all involved are in full control? Um, of the of the overall product you know like yeah. what if um, in the same way like 
like in the Zack Snyder, like Justice League cut, like what if I know that that had a, you know, obviously a million dollar backing by HBO, but at the end of the day, it's like, it's, it's the product that he wanted or like James Cameron's, you know, even Titanic, which had, you know, an absurd amount of money put towards it. But at the end of the day, it's like, it's his final product or, uh, what we see now with Oppenheimer, you know, we know that Christopher Nolan, that's his final product. Yeah. I guess that's a, that's a good question though. Right. Cause like a lot of, a lot of the bigger films are really driven because of studio money. Right. And, they have a definitely say on it to be able to like they have their analytics and ideas of what would sell so yeah it makes sense so this this kind of brings me ryan into this whole thing now you when you make your films you also act and this also i want to get your perspective on this on would it be a good idea um if more actors made now right especially now while they're you know at a standstill um maybe jason you can speak to this too um maybe you guys know but if an actor right now is on strike right and they're not allowed to work for these studios and they have they have some of them are getting waivers to work for independent filmmakers what if it's them it's their own film shot with a smartphone or something you know do how would that work do you guys know uh that's a great question i am not a union worker so i don't know the rules um and thus i don't know how to break those rules or to bend them either so it's hard for me to say um what the what that line looks like i think also this might not be the answer that you're looking for, Susie, but um, with some writers that I know, I think they're fatigued from all the picketing. You know, they've been mm. picketing since May. And like discussions that I've had with a couple of them, they kind of ebb and flow in terms of their just creative energy levels, you know, because some of them are literally out picketing every day or almost every day and have been since May. So, (laughs) uh, it's really hard to say. Yeah. Cause I think it's, it's eating at their budget, uh, as well. The reason why I was bringing up more on the actors is cause I know actors need to get their faces out there. Um, or people will forget about them. Basically that's kind of like their, their thing. It's like, I'll, I'll work on little films in between the big films because I don't want to be forgotten. It's an industry that forgets about them very quickly. Uh, they go in and out of fame, you know? Yeah. Okay. So, so forget that <laughs> because no one knows, <laughs> um, which is fine. Uh, it's, it's something maybe one of our listeners, you know, will know the answer to this. Um, I don't want to make things too complicated. It's not like it's a test <laughs> of our knowledge. Uh, but let's talk, let's talk a little bit about, uh, this topic that we keep talking about anyways. Um, when it comes to, I mean, we've talked about what is indie film. We know that that gets, you know, um, complicated, 
right? It's not a straight answer because of the budget for the most part. Um, and uh, let's talk now about AI. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> uh, um, I was... Uh, Watching the the Terminator movie, the one where all the timelines get crossed, um, and they be had more specific this. On that. I know. I I don't remember <laughs> the freaking like name. Last three That's movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they all get crossed. It's when they go they go back to 1980. They they begin with the the AI. You know, scene that's with every movie. That's every Terminator. Who was Michael B. And what was his name? I already forgot Kyle. his name in the Kyle. Kyle. Okay, he's a young boy, and he's picked up by John Connor. I can't forget that name. Um, and uh, he's rescued by him, and they kind of, you know, once he grows up, he gets sent back to 1984 to find mom again, but. Uh, just as he gets sent back, uh, something happens. Oh my God, what's the name of that one? Anyways, so what what happened was, hold on, I'm about to find it here. Um, Terminator Salvation. I think that's it. Uh, so Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> I don't think I pronounced his name right. Um, <laughs> he, uh, they show two versions of him. They show an older version and they show the young version, the original version, and he was done like AI. And that made me think about Gemini Man with Will Smith and how they used AI um, in the film as well, but uh, to, to make him look younger, and they did such a good job at that. And so my question with this, with AI, because that's part of, what people are complaining about, right? That they're going to scan them and uh, use them for whatever roles. Like if you're an extra, you're working on the film scene, right? You're an extra, but you hope to get cast in something eventually. You're not just always want wanting to be an extra. But if you don't even get to be on set anymore after that, then how do you progress from that? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing like if you're working on a film in post-production, if you're working for during po- the, the post uh, part of it and you're sort of um, doing all the monotonous work for the editor, if the editor uses an AI, then how do you come into that field sort of like an apprentice or something to learn how to do this process so that you can advance to being an editor? Same thing on the set. Um, and I'm just looking for how, cause we were talking about this. We were kind of arguing about this a little bit about, yeah, AI will do away with a lot of the processes that are monotonous and could free up the editor per se. But we forget that below the editor, there's, there's a whole team of people that are doing these processes and the experience, which maybe I'll put that on the t-shirt, <laughs> uh, guys, uh, the experience that makes the ep- expert through experience will be erased. What do you guys think about that? Well, I, I guess the question is, is like, in terms of automation, what is, um, if an editor, if, if your job is 
easily automated by an editor? Like what? Who? Like who's actually doing that job? I, I, I'm guessing because I, I would assume that's what part of the job. So the editors the have editor assistant itself. editors. Well, that's right? that's true. And right? media managers. I, I guess right? I, I suppose right, but then. Yeah. But wouldn't and I guess the argument would be like if if it's uh, if your job is easily automated, wouldn't that already raise like the skill set of people that would have to be like the, you know, assistant editors? Like I don't know if I'm. Yeah, actually, I think I understand what you're saying, but at the same time, it, hmm. like if you're not if you're not working, we're talking about film mainly, right? So this yes. is a, this is not an industry that's, you know, we're not talking about, you know, landscaping or something. This is a very secluded kind of industry, sought after industry, very hard to get into. And part of the process of you advancing within the industry is by being a part of it. Right. And in order to know the process, right, you you need the experience within the industry to even be considered for a position and to be trusted to be an editor per se. So if you're working with an editor by assisting the editor, right, this is just one position to give an example for, then how are you, you know, uh, the editor's like, yeah, I, I need these. And then you're you're working closely with the editor and the and, and human to human interaction is going to that editor is going to be teaching you things and explaining things of why I need this and why this fits here and why I need you to do it that way and things like that that you're learning from. If that assistant turns into artificial, you know, intelligence and it's done, you know, through automation there, that conversation isn't happening and there's no human there that wants to get into that industry that's going to be there assisting because the AI is going to take that place. When that editor leaves, right, then then you don't have, what I'm trying to say is that you don't have the generations of people working within the industry not to do the exact same job but to even make it progressive you know, to, to advance in it from human to human, as opposed to from machine to machine, basically. I see. And when I say machine, I'm not talking about a robot. I'm, <laughs> I'm talking about the process. <laughs> right. But, but yeah. I wouldn't, I guess it, it does, it probably certain jobs, I think, or certain sectors. Yeah. Like automation. I mean, the reason why I know I'm a filmmaker now is because of, um, certain automations to have happened through technology for me to be able to, you know, learn how to film digital film because that became much more accessible to like a lot more people, you know, and and obviously, you know, there's a lot of filmmakers out there that isn't trained in a, in a film school. Some of them picked up a camera and just learned themselves simply because there have been, you know, automation making things uh, accessible for, for people, right? And I understand like the editor, I guess one example I have is like if an editor was editing podcast right now, right? And you see that there are, you know, like you see there are uh, like AI automated, you know, algorithm based editing or cutting like a very base idea of, of a podcast because of the sound or something like that. Like 
I mean, you know, that's like a very meticulous job that someone like, you know, an editor used to do like last year, but now they could finish a like a video podcast, you know, within like a few hours instead of taking like a week, like, but that should be accessible to everybody. Right. So wouldn't, wouldn't a new generation of say editors learn their own style so they don't have to. I think it would change the, the, the entire human deduction from making decisions that are artistic on that. For example, there are, there are just to use the podcast thing, there are ways that will automate, you know, editing the tracks and stuff, but they, they churn it in such a way that they're, when you listen to them, right? Like they take out, like there's an automation that'll take out all the ums. I say, um, a lot. They'll take out all the ums and then it makes it sound sort of not realistic in a way. Mm-hmm. They will they will take out all the spaces when they're just a little bit too long. And we all know as filmmakers that you see what I did there? That silence gives you the example of I'm thinking, you know, there's, well, there's yeah. pauses and silences for a reason. And those things automation doesn't do very well. But shouldn't that just, you know, the automation give a base, uh, like a base for the real editor to actually tweak it, right? It's just, you know, giving them, giving these editors more time to be creative. So they're fixing, they're fixing what the automation did. So they might as well just do it. Um, that That's just an example, you know, but I think podcasts are probably the worst example because oh, yeah, nobody pays you to edit a, a podcast <laughs> unless you're really good. <laughs> um, nobody pays me to edit this. Um, no, but I think, you know, in the film industry itself, it's very hard to get into and it probably will always remain that way. But I think it would just make it worse. That's just my my opinion on it on it i you know what do you think ryan what do you think jason et well um one of the before we got into the editing part one of the other questions was is as far as like an actor and mm-hmm. I, my opinion is, is that like if you're an actor who's who's struggling to get into the industry and keeping in mind that i'm not in the industry at all um but uh my feeling is is then like you just just write and you need to start writing directing and casting yourself into a movie yeah. Um, would be would be the answer, uh, and we we, and we I um I'm gonna butcher his name. And it's so so wrong of me. The director of uh the Mission Impossible movie that just came out, um Christopher McQuarrie, I think his name is. Um, I I read an interview where he had said that he'd won the Oscar for Usual Suspects for screenwriting, um, but then he couldn't get a screenwriting job, at all. Uh, and so he, right. that's what led him into directing was because he was, well, I'll just write and direct my own movies then. And uh, we saw this with uh, Ellen when she had her show through the 90s that that got dropped. Um, and so she went back to stand up and she so she said, well, I wrote my own stand up comedy. Then I, she wrote a, a whole stand up hour. Um, so at some point, you, you like you, you can't wait for the system to pick you. You're going to have to. You have to inject yourself into that system, is my opinion. But I'm also on the very, very outskirts of it all, so that's easy for me to say in that sense. But yeah, and none of these guys like 
the films that they've worked on now and the projects that they work on now, those weren't their first ones. They worked through several to learn to get to where they are now. Right. So, but wouldn't that also mean that if, um, I mean, yeah, you just have to work, even if you have to work for yourself. Like, I mean, that's how you learn, right? Well, the work is the learning part. See? Yes, exactly. That, yeah. Which is why I love mobile filmmaking, right? Like, I think right? it's such an accessible way to learn how to be, you know, how to make films that, you know, like, I think every aspect of the production somebody could learn, you know, they know where to put the camera or edit or act. They know what look, they, they finally get to learn what looks good in front of the camera, where to put everything together, how to make a scene, you know? Yeah. But there's things in the industry, within the industry, like you go to an independent film and, um, you know, uh, I was told on a set, like, shush, don't help the person in the lighting department. Don't help the person in the, this department because they're working if they're, and I don't mean shush like for reals, but like, you know, if you were working on a film in Hollywood, everybody's union, mm-hmm. you're not allowed to step in and help them. You know what I'm saying? There's not that crossover of, you know, hey, we all help each other out to to do this. You have to sort of stand on the side and let them do their thing and figure it out on their own, as opposed to with indie filmmaker where everybody's just helping each other out. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so those things that means that there's a process that you learn in the actual film industry union hollywood filmmaking that's different from indie filmmaking that you don't have a chance to get in there because they've decided that they're going to have ai do those jobs instead i could speak to this from personal experience please do yeah uh (laughs) Many years ago, a couple of separate occasions in uh, from the composer side of things, there are many, especially higher level film composers and TV composers that use assistants, um, assistant composers. And um, a couple of times I went on job interviews with two different pretty top tier composers. This was years ago. Um And on one of them, it was like a whole day interview for a top TV composer. And um, I learned so much from that one day. I've never seen this composer again. Uh, We didn't really stay in touch, not for any particular reason, but we just didn't. But um, I learned so much from him because that interview, about 50% of it, was him sitting next to me at his workstation and we were discussing his process. And then he would have me execute certain tasks in in his uh, software, his his DAW. Um, And I picked up, I didn't get the job. It's totally fine. Things have worked out just fine for me. But um, I learned some really important secrets from this guy in terms of how to work with directors and how to work with producers and how to, um, you know, if, if a director sends you like a par- a paragraph worth of notes, I yeah. learned on that job interview, I learned how to read like a page long email or something 
and how to interpret those notes from a director and actually pick out what this person actually means <laughs> in just a few yeah. words. Um, how to get and they have their own like short notes basically um, yeah that's what I learned I learned yeah. how to get to the essence yep. of the notes and the feedback on a, on a cue um, and I learned that on a job interview so I mean if shorthand. I don't I don't think, I think that's what I meant yeah, yeah shorthand I don't I don't think that the uh, composer assistant job would ever go away um, entirely and I think the reason the flip side of that is that because there are some composers that actually have their assistants write the music cues and then the main A-list composer slaps their name on it. Um, and there have been oh, yeah. certain uh, assistant composers that were so good, you know, they got their start assisting and like just blew their, you know, the person they were working for blew them away. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how they got their, their start, you know, um, so I think there's probably some big composers that not that they're that they don't know what they're doing. They definitely know what they're doing, but they rely heavily on their assistant composers to tackle these big films. So I don't know if, you know, the the assistant positions at least in the composing side would ever disappear completely, but there might be certain tasks or like, you know, like just the example that I gave of that one day that I spent and what I learned, um, you know, if there was software that was do- making some of those decisions, then, you know, you don't get that baton passing. You don't have that dialogue. Yeah. You don't have that connection and that that conversation. And that is gold in the yeah. industry. Yeah. I mean, that's why you have, you know, so many people volunteer on film productions and film sets. That's why we have interns and things like that for, I mean, just about any industry. That's gold, what you learned there in that way. And if we're going to just use AI, you know, over time, those positions are going to be taken over by AI. There, there won't be a human editor anymore. And I think we'll just leave everything up to AI. And then there's what I brought up the last time was that that human ingenuity, um, because AI is is always working off of stuff it's learned and that exists right and it won't be able to just make a decision creatively you know uh to to innovate even a process in the way that humans do and what we can connect in our brains you know to to make those creative decisions that that invent things even it's just not not something that AI will do. Well, really, what would the purpose be? Uh, when and, and again, I'm just talking about the artistic industry, really, and and the artistic process, and the result of the content that's created um, doesn't connect with humans much in the same way that these films through templates <laughs> are kind of not having the right effect, you know, on, on us, we, we can see right through them. And I think it's because, well, partially at least for that reason. Yeah, I was, I was going to, um, I know it was mentioned about, 
the human connection being lost um, due to AI, where I feel uh, when it comes, let's say, video editing, I think uh, some of that human connection um, where one editor is, you know, helping a, a new editor learn has been lost um, in today's time because um, with with platforms like YouTube, you know, any video platform, um, we can find a bunch of tutorials that uh, someone who has no idea how to edit with enough studying, you can learn how to get the basics down um, from, from, from just going to YouTube and finding a bunch of things. Whereas uh, maybe <laughs> several years ago, um, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't possible, so I, so I or we needed that uh, interaction, that human interaction, to to know how to edit. Um, so I guess the the other thing could come in as far as artistic style, um, where now I mean there are platforms or videos out that's breaking down particular artistic styles to where um, you may not need to be in person with someone to to learn how to capture or learn how to edit something in particular um so now i guess where ai comes in is kind of cutting that that time because that person still has to learn um so i guess where ai comes in is now being like okay we don't need to take uh days or months for this person to learn this ai can kind of already get it in I know this may seem really random, but I was just thinking again about these actors that are older, that are made to look younger, to keep regurgitating these films um, over and over again, like Top Gun, <laughs> um, you know, Terminator films, and all these other films that keep um, happening and taking over because they're such a big success when they first come out, right? So that, let's make another one. But the actors age. So now we've got AI, you know, making them look younger and they can still be a part of the film. And I feel like, I mean, I don't know how long we're going to keep using, you know, these, these, the same big actors with AI because they, they get the parts because it doesn't even matter how old they are or anything like that, how their skill level for doing action or any of that, doesn't matter if AI can take their image and recreate it and have them act. It's just about, you know, you're a big name, you know, you're, you're Tom Cruise, you're Brad Pitt, you're, you know, Will Smith, whatever, and, um, you know, we can just keep using you to make money off of the future films and... and that means we're just looking at the same actors over and over and over and the same films over and over and over, you know, like Avenger and all of those guys. Yeah. So there's not going to be not that many people involved in the industry, right? And maybe that's expected. Maybe it's expected that the industry is going to maybe trying to do whatever Tank. they can to <laughs> try to use these tools. It's, it's an engine and it has to keep going 
And I guess the, the beauty of independent filmmaking is we don't have to take that route. I mean, up to this point, has there been a movie where, like, I mean, to my knowledge, you know, most of the, like, de-aging that we've seen has been purposeful in a sense of, like, the, the storyline is going into the past, like, let's say The Irishman or even the new the newest Indiana Jones movie where it's, like, um, there's parts of it that are like from the 1940s in that storyline compared to the 1970s, whichever. So, I mean, are we really, are we at a point yet where there's the, the entire movie is now a de-aged Harrison Ford? Um, just, just for the sake of, because he's 80, but we want him to be like what he was in Sabrina. Is, are we there yet? Or, um, didn't Harrison Ford say, I don't need to be an actor anymore, I'm old anyways, and I don't care to do it, but, I mean, they've got them, they can still use them in future films, right? Yeah, I, 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 th- I still think that, he told me not to do this, but I'm going to say, <laughs> the I, devil. <laughs> I, well, I just, like, we all, we, there's still, like, inherently, we, uh, we still see CGI, like, it, very, very little, is there a moment in a movie where we're, where we're surprised by CGI in a sense, like probably the de-aging on Indiana Jones this, on this last one was probably the best, but like the Irishman, which I love the Irishman, but let's be, but you can tell that they're that it's yeah. digitally de-aged. Like you can really yeah. see it. Um, and so, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. Captain America civil war. Yeah. You can just, you can tell it's, no. like, it's like, it's like in the, um, yeah. in the opening it's like, okay, come on. Like I know that's Downey Jr. From like the, the only you, um, U.S. Marshal kind of days, right? Um, so I, it's like, are we really tricked by that in a sense? I mean, and then you have, um, so I don't, I mean, is it any different than like in Forrest Gump? Well, it, Force it's Gump, not a trick. I know, mean, it's, it's kind of like the whole thing of filmmaking yeah. is a trick. I mean, yeah, cause know, like, there's even a term within filmmaking of cheating things yeah. to make it look this way. Cause like in way. Vanilla Sky, uh, I think Tom Cruise is like 38 when he made the movie, but in the but the character he plays, he says in the movie he's like he's like oh, I'm 26, and then in Wolf of Wall Street, like uh, DiCaprio is in reality like f- almost 40, but he's playing a 26 year old character, and then in Forrest yeah. Gump, in the earlier parts of Forrest Gump, they actually paint over uh, Tom Hanks's receded hairline for <laughs> so he can play like young. Forest in the high school college days yeah. compared to later in the movie. I mean, so there's always what, some kind of trick this, though, that's, right? Yeah, there's, that's different. I mean, that's like even on, on a stage play where people are, you know, made up to look younger and older and things like that. But we're talking about an industry that wants to replace actors with the profiting celebrities by reusing the same celebrities over and over you know what I'm saying? To sell their future movies. And I think that's, that's, you know, the ability to do it, like I was just giving you some examples, is showing you how it's going to get to the point to where, I mean, the deep fake videos of politicians and celebrities saying things and putting words in their mouth, they're getting harder and harder for people to realize it's, you know, it's, it's that that thing what do you think joey 
I mean, I think with, with you know, what you were saying about de-aging things, even like the story itself, like the one thing that I, that stuck in my head is like the idea of, of like, you know, these newer actors, but they're always placed like, like Stranger Things, right? You have, you know, you have like the kid of Uma Thurman and, and uh, Ethan Hawke, like that's one of the, the main, right, you know, right. characters there, right? Um, and then it's, it's based in the 80s, right? So... I always thought about this. I think, you know, as been been doing filmmaking for, for a bit, um, I, I guess that's one of the ways to make your picture look like it fits your, like, your budget is by just de-aging the, the timeline or the era on which you're filming. So there's Let's a lot of... just make it black and white. Like, I mean, thing, that's yeah. one thing. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I would love to see more noir films, neo-noir films now, right? Or at least the idea of, of you know, the, the single harsh light for newer filmmakers to learn lighting. But, you know, that's that's not a thing anymore, right? But but I think the idea of, you know, like people buying like, oh, like we're going to film this whole project on an Ari, but it's going to be based on, you know, the 80s and we're <laughs> going to give it a film grain. Or, or something like that because it's like a found footage True. type of thing right it's a yeah. i think it's a way to just really give them a buffer when it comes to i i guess like the believability of 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 what the audience is seeing i mean that's one of those smoke and mirrors type of ideas but i don't know i guess maybe making a modern film now with stories that are uh, i guess made for today's harder in nature i think it's easier to see in retrospect uh like how society was if you make a film or a tv show back in the 80s than it is to like make something now right i mean like you can literally go back and watch those the original the real films that were made back then yeah but at the same time like you know like certain jokes or certain topics wouldn't work when you oh, film I something know, now, right? yeah. if you were to film yeah. something, oh, back in the nineties when, you know, there's some crazy films back then. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think we've, we've done, uh, we've gone pretty extensive in this, in this part in, and, and, and again, you know, just going back to the indie filmmaking and like what Ryan was saying about, you know, actors and, you know, making their own films and directing their films and uh, casting themselves, you know. Um, but I think this might be a good time for indie filmmaking, you know, um, with the people that are. I mean, look, if you're not going to if you if you're going to if your bread and butter isn't going to come from the Hollywood films and you're just. You're trying to get fame from that, but these, you know, Brad Pitt's going to take your job every time, right? Um, how does that work? You know, how do you stay in the industry? You got to go go work at Target or what? I mean, how does that work? Maybe that's me. I mean, it's the. I guess do you want fame or do you want true. do you want to do art or do you want fame or like money, right? Um. So I think if if all you're looking for is just to be on the red carpet, uh, like at the Oscars or 
if all you're looking for is to be on the cover of Entertainment Weekly, then are you really doing it for the art? Or are you just doing it for the fame? So if you're doing it, if you're doing art, right, you can be profitable at art. No one says that you have to die before you make your art makes money. Um, I, I, I did the master class with uh, Warner Herzog, and he talked about how like his first three movies, his first three feature films, he didn't make a single dime off of them, and he still continues to n- never make money off of them. Um, and but it was somebody had came had seen his like third film then offered him a job to direct the fourth one and that's when he's finally started making like money and doing it but he talks about in his master class he's like if you have to work that uh, that dead end job for the next 10 years to save up the money to make your movie he's like then you work that dead end job yeah and you do exactly that yeah um what was the name of the master class oh it's a Werner Herzog he's he's a He's in the Mandalorian, but I don't know how much because I only saw the first season. But he's like, he's one. He's very early in. He's the villain in Jack Reacher, um, but he's also an indie filmmaker at times, and he does a documentaries where it's just like him and like two other people. And his whole thing is he's like, he's like, if you only need, you know, three people, if if that's all you have, and that's what you have, and you just do it, and you make the movie with three people. Um, He's risked his life yeah. for documentary filmmaking before in other countries and yeah. stuff. I think, I think a movie he directed, it was the Volcano movie that won an Oscar, I think was his, uh, that came up a couple years ago. You're going to have to be more specific with the, the Volcano movie. <laughs> it's probably called something like Into the Fire. I don't know. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> it's giving like you a hard time because <laughs> Dante's Peak or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it's a it's a crazy world uh, that we're living in because there's so many things. I mean, evolution is like just got a firm grip on every aspect of our society lately. Um, it's just it's just weird and crazy, but um, yeah, there's there's some good things and some good opportunities happening from change that just has to happen. But there's also the scary part of it, which is you know, we can't leave the humans out. We we connect through art, and we get we learn from each other uh, through our connections as well. You know, mm-hmm. like what ET was saying is like, yes, but uh, in all those video tutorials and things like that, you miss those one-on-one secret conversations like Jason was having with his I mean he was basically mentoring you mm-hmm. yeah and I, I've been thinking since our last and before our last podcast a couple of weeks ago our recording um, it's what's happening now with AI is reminding me a little bit of and knowing about the history of computers and, and film composing and how it was a paradigm shift when sample libraries just started getting better and better and more realistic and more composers were using them, um, you know, and then eventually a little bit more recently, you know, it's, it's not that expensive to get your hands on a laptop or even an iPad or something like a tablet, uh, to be able to compose on, you know, so with that, it's great because, it democratizes 
creativity in that sense. Um, but then you have a million, when that happens, you have a million film composers all over the world, right? And, <laughs> and a million people wanting to do that uh, as a job, you know? Um, and it's fine, but I think I've, I kind of realized that at some point um, in terms of computers being so accessible and, you know, um, even like you guys were mentioning last time, apps that will edit and, you know, drop music in for you and stuff like that automated. Um, I realized that, well, if I'm going to differentiate myself as an artist, then I need to study the craft of of music composing and film composing. Yes. And, and that will help me differentiate myself and set myself apart from the million other kids all over the world trying to do the same thing, you know? So I think uh, having that, those experiences, those real life, real world experiences and getting the mentorship from the folks that have done it before you is just priceless. And it's part, I think it's part of what can kind of help you stand out from everyone else, including AI, uh, maybe taking over certain tasks or, you know, um, and so I think that for me, at least in my head, that's applicable. I think, um, at least right now in terms of AI and creativity and music and composing. Um, and, um, but it's also, there's also, then I eventually learned that there's, there's more to it than just the craft. There's also who you are as a person is part of what people are paying you for when they hire you to, to, uh, score their film. Um, they're hiring you for the person you are for, it sounds kind of corny, but like for your brand, how you present yourself online and in person. Um, so when someone comes to hire you as opposed to just buying some royalty free music online or whatever free, you know, YouTube stuff that you could get for free in your film, like they want to spend the money on someone that knows what they're doing and that has experience. And, um, I kind of feel like at least the way I'm thinking about it right now is like, that's kind of like the only thing that you have is just your knowledge, your experience and, um, you know, who you are as a person, your perspective on life. Um, that's kind of your what, humanity. Definitely. Yeah. All of those things kind of together um, make this make you. And so when when someone hires you to score a film, they want that, you know, presumably they're paying you to do this job. And so they want everything that you bring to the table as a human as and as a creator uh, and they, they're willing to spend that money and to budget for you. Um, and well, that's, hopefully that's, they'll see the value of that. Yeah. You know, I mean, they'll recognize it and seek it and hire it and say, you know, we could get an AI, but, you know, we'd rather have Jason or E.T. or Ryan or Joey. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I think that's what it is because I know that personally too with you know like doing action i've met a lot of stuntmen and stunt women but there are like even i would i would take somebody who's willing to learn and easy to get along with on set than like a, a really good stunt person that can that's uh, you know just a general ass you know like on 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 set and to the people like yeah i would never want to work with someone like that right 
Yeah, but but they learn how to be a good person on set. Like, you know, I, I learned that by working on the set, uh, you know, even as a PA, where you're not supposed to ever stand still and watch other people do things. You get in there and you help. Right. I mean, they, they learn how to. A lot to, of people don't know that. Well, I mean, but that's the thing too, right? Somebody can learn to be uh, like a person that you can work with on set, but, you know, like the personality will still stay the same. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah. So it, it, that's the that's the the thing. And if you're definitely on on a production, then you're going to see this person like every day for long periods of hours. You you really would <laughs> like had... somebody you be able to like work with, right? Yes. No, I just had this thought <laughs> about all the all the actors that people go, oh, he, the, you know, he's a great actor, but man, nobody wants to work with this actor because they're such a pain. It's like, well, we'll just get AI. <laughs> that'll work it reminds me of many years ago i heard that or i read somewhere that um that's kind of how willie nelson picks his bandmates for his bands is like mm. if he had to choose between two people one person was like an amazing musician and the other one was maybe not as good but really easy to get along with he'll always pick the person who's easier to get on with mm. makes sense I think you get farther that way with your art and your craft as a team, you know? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So I think we're going to call it so that this episode doesn't get to be too long <laughs> for <laughs> listeners. Um, and uh, and we always, you know, we'll, if we leave them hanging, right, wanting, what mm-hmm. is that saying? If you're left wanting, you'll come back for more? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Um, I'm really bad with lyrics and sayings like that, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, hey, I hope uh, I hope um, all you listeners uh, enjoyed this. And I'm sure that you understand that you were a part of this conversation because a lot of the questions that I was asking was with you in mind. And um, and uh, I hope you all have a great one. You guys want to say goodbye to our listeners? Yeah. Bye, Thank you listeners. for listening, guys. Thanks, everybody. Thank See you, you next time. Thank you for tuning in.